This morning's Bible reading comes from Exodus 16, um, verses 1 through to 16, and can be found on page 110 in your seat Bibles, or can be followed on the screen. Manna and quail. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it is the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening, and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening came, oh, that evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it, it, what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Thanks for reading, Nat, and good morning once again. Well, as you've heard already this morning, we have been working our way through the book of Exodus this term, and this morning we're wrapping up that series. We've come to the end. It's not the end of Exodus, obviously, but we've come to the end of our series, and I want to ask you then, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, what what have you learnt about God over these past eight weeks? I hope, in a way, that you've been reminded that our God is a God who keeps his promises. I hope you've been reminded that our God is a God who saves people. That's part of what he does. And I hope you can see that he's still doing that in our world. We've seen a, a great example of that this morning with Hattie's baptism. We're going to come back to Exodus at some point as a church. But but for now, think back to where this book started. 
God's special people were enslaved in Egypt. Life was pretty grim for them. You might remember their male babies were being thrown into the river Nile to drown. And so the Israelites cried out to God. In verse 24 of chapter 2, which has been our kids' memory verse throughout this entire term, it says this, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. In other words, God heard their cries. They'd been in Egypt for 400 years and throughout that entire time, God had not forgotten them. And we've read about God's plan to deliver the Israelites. We saw it would be a battle. Israel's God on one side versus Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, on the other. Remember, God spoke to Moses and he revealed his name. He said, I am who I am. I argued that perhaps we could read that as I am what I will do. And what did God show them that he would do? Well, he revealed his mighty power and his justice by defeating Pharaoh and freeing his people. And through that process, we saw the deliverance and the majesty and the power and the absolute sovereignty of God. We saw God kind of upending creation itself, plagues of frogs and boils and blood and pestilence. And and then finally, we saw the death of the firstborn sons. And eventually, Pharaoh capitulates, doesn't he? And he lets Israel go, only to change his mind and chase them down with his army. And then more recently, just in the last couple of weeks, we've been, we've been seeing how they finally escaped. We saw the parting of the sea. Remember Israel, they were in dire, dire trouble. They'd escaped Egypt, only to be chased down and encircled by the greatest military power of the time. They were hemmed in. They had the sea on one side, and on the other, they had the hostile Egyptian army. And I wanted you to see that they were as good as dead at that point. But God acts, and he parts the sea, and they walk through as though they are on dry land. The Egyptian army follows, doesn't it? But God closes the water over them and they all drown. And we saw the the circle of the story kind of coming right round. We started with the Israelite babies drowning and now we have the Egyptian army drowning. And for Israel, they'd crossed over, I wanted you to see, from a place of almost certain death on this side to a place of life on the other side of the sea. Death and darkness on this side, light and life on the other. And I've been encouraging you to see this this real tangible physical journey, this crossing over the sea, as an encouragement for us to remember that our journey is also very real. For those of us who trust in Jesus, we too have crossed over from death to life. Now today we've had that absolute pleasure of seeing Hattie's baptism. In a way, I want you to think about it as her very own Red Sea moment, her movement from death to life. Of course, baptism is just a symbol. It's just an illustration. It's just a picture. Her salvation is tied to her faith in Jesus, not the splashing of water. But you get the idea of what it's illustrating, don't you? Crossing over from death to life. If you've been baptised also... Well, that's a symbol to remind you of your journey, 
your crossing over, your movement from death to life that is effective in and through your faith in Jesus. The first 14 chapters of Exodus were all looking forward to this this crossing of the sea and now in chapters 15, 16 and 17 and onwards the people have been saved from Egypt, they've been saved and delivered from the army of Egypt, they've been taken out of slavery, they've been redeemed but they have not yet entered into the promised land and are stuck in a desert. And I reckon at this point in Exodus, we should start to wonder, how are God's people going to survive? How they live as God's people? Sure, they've escaped the oppression of Egypt, but now they've crossed over into the wilderness. And we read in the Bible that there were 600,000 men in this group of people who had crossed over. And so we can probably deduce that there are probably as many women and, and lots of children as well. There might have been two or three million of them wandering around in the desert. Yesterday, my family and I went for a drive down to Ordinga and we went past all the houses and we thought, how big is Adelaide? It's only 1.3 million people. Two or three million of them wandering around in the wilderness. That's a lot of food to find, isn't it? And so I think there's a lot we can learn from these chapters. We're only going to be looking at a small part of chapter 16 today. In a way, they're good chapters for Hattie to be hearing. Now, she's too small, too little to understand. But these chapters are, I think, good chapters for those of us who have been baptised, for those of us who have crossed over from death into life, but are not yet in the promised land. That's us, isn't it? So I want you to see how applicable these chapters are for us today. You see, we too have been saved, haven't we? But we're not yet in the promised land. We are citizens of heaven, but we're not yet there. We're We've been promised a new creation, but we're not there. And so how do we live in this age? Well, I've got three suggestions that I think come from the passage today. And you'll see those three suggestions in your leaflet if you want to follow along. The first is that crossing over doesn't necessarily cure the grumbles. The second thing I want us to see is God's great provision. And the third thing I want us to think about is the food that Jesus offers sustains us into eternity. Those are the three outlines in your three points in your leaflet. We're picking up the story today in chapter 16. I could say we could have chosen 15, we could have chosen 17. They all kind of show God delivering his people from different threats. But today we're picking up chapter 16. And I want to read to you the first three verses that Nat read before. If you've got your Bibles open, please follow along. This is what it says. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you've brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Well, it's only been a couple of weeks by this stage, hasn't it, since the Israelites saw God part the sea and yet here they are grumbling. And as readers, I think we're supposed to kind of be up in arms at the Israelites at this point. How could they do this? I think that's what we're supposed to be feeling. But I reckon it would have been pretty hard for them 
Years ago, my family and I lived in Warrnambool on the Great Ocean Road, and one weekend we decided to go on a camping trip. We'd planned this trip for a few weeks. We got the camping gear ready. We found what we thought would be the perfect campsite, and we set off. Now, there was a little problem with our plans. It was one of those really, really, really hot days. And I mean really hot. We got to our campsite. We'd been expecting nice, grassy tent sites to set up our tent on. What we found instead was a dust bowl, not a blade of grass and not a patch of shade anywhere. Kind of not to um, get too disappointed, I got out of the car and I started setting up my tent. You can see it on the stage here. And within a couple of minutes, I was sweating and the poles wouldn't go in properly and it starts to get frustrating. And then the kids, who were very young at this time, found the toilets. It was a new experience for them because they were bush toilets, you know, the ones that smell and don't flush. And once they'd experienced it for the first time, they were never, ever going back. They assured us. They were going to hold on for the rest of the camping trip. And then to top it off, there were aggressive kangaroos and there were biting ants. It wasn't the desert, but I was pretty close. (laughs) And an hour or so into this adventure, Meredith and I, we weren't dreaming about pots of meat, but we were dreaming about flushing toilets and shade and, and air conditioning. Let me assure you, we did our fair share of grumbling that evening and that night. And the first thing the next morning, as soon as it was light, I was up packing away the camping gear and we were in the car straight away heading home. See, I want you to remember that Israelites are camping in the desert. I reckon I know a little bit of why they were grumbling. I've got my tent here set up on the piano over here just to remind you that camping in the desert can be hard work. If you're not sure about this, you can borrow it and head up to Cooperpedi sometime in the summer. Because I think we want to sling mud at the Israelites at this point and say how short-sighted they were, how, so, how quick they were to forget the parting of the sea. We want to wag our fingers at them and tell them they're hard-hearted people and yet we're just like them, aren't we? But I think there's something really important for us to remember here. I think Israel's grumbling helps us to see that crossing over, arriving in the Christian life, is not a promise of comfort. Now, if you're not sure, borrow my tent. Here's the thing. Crossing over the sea, escaping almost certain death at the hands of the Egyptians, that was incredible for God's people. They were saved. There's no doubt about it. But they were not saved into a life of comfort or bliss. They've been saved, but they're not yet in the land that flows with milk and honey. I want to suggest this might help explain some of the challenges that you and I face in this world today. See, as those who trust in Jesus, as those who've crossed over from death to life, doesn't necessarily mean life is easy. Hattie, I'm not sure where you are at the moment in this room. I'm so glad you've crossed over. I'm so glad you're on the other side. But it's no guarantee that your life in this world will be easy. In fact, in many ways, I think the opposite is true because the Apostle Paul tells us to expect as Christians a life of suffering. See, we are following Jesus, the man who was persecuted and suffered to the point of death. And so as his followers, we're told to also expect trouble and suffering in this life. 
If that's the case then, what do we do? If life is tough, if suffering is part of what it means to cross over, if we know that we too are prone to grumble as people, and I'm sure, well, I know I am, what are we to do? The first thing I want you to see today is that we can encourage one another. We've done that already today, haven't we? We've, we've been encouraged by Tom and Emily as they've declared what it is that they believe. We've been encouraged by seeing Hattie's baptism. We've been reminded of the truth of the gospel that we have indeed been saved, that we've crossed over from death to life. We've helped each other remember that we are already part of God's family. We've reminded each other of his faithfulness to us. God keeps his promises. And we can keep reminding each other of those things when we spend time together. Let me encourage you, keep doing that. Keep reminding each other of God's great promises to us. The second thing I think we can do is to keep remembering that our God is a God who provides. He provides for our needs. He's our sustainer. And I want you to remember that this morning. It's point two on your leaflets. When it comes to the Israelites out in the desert, these, in these middle chapters of Exodus, they face three challenges. They face the challenge of not having enough water. They face the challenge of not having enough food to eat. And they face the challenge of surrounding armies, threats from enemies. And I want you to see this morning that God provides for the Israelites in each of these ways. Today in chapter 16, we're focusing on food. That's what chapter 16 is all about. So come down with me in chapter 16 to verse 11. Here's what it says. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? They did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. Now, most of us know this story really well, don't we? And so I want to encourage you, don't let the familiarity of the story get in the way of just how incredible this event is. God provides for them meat in the form of quails every night and manna in the form of bread every morning. It's such an act of kindness. You know, there's no discipline for their grumbling or anything like that. No correction of that, just provision. But the provision does come with an instruction, doesn't it? You were to gather manna each day, but only what you need for that day. And with the exception of the Sabbath and the day before, they'll do that every day. Now, some don't listen to that instruction. You can read on in chapter 16 and see that. They gather extra, but by the next day, the manna is ruined. It smells and it's full of maggots. I wonder how that makes you feel. See, the more I think about this instruction to only gather for that day, the more uneasy it makes me feel. Remember, the Israelites are out in the desert here, and without manna, they have absolutely nothing to survive with, possibly not even a blade of grass. And so if I imagine myself in their situation, every bit of me, every fibre of my being wants to stockpile manna. I want to save it. And the reason I want to do that is because I want to have a little bit of control. 
so that I can feel at least in some way that I'm providing for myself or my family. Let me give you an example. If you've ever done a multi-day hike, like taking a tent like this and gone on a multi-day hike through the Australian bush, water is the thing that you most need, isn't it? Often the places where you stop for the night are based around sources of water. The maps tell you where water is normally, but always you take a little more than you need, don't you? If you think you need four litres of water to get to the next site, you normally take six because you're not sure if there'll be water there or not. Must have been so similar for the Israelites. Every day they must have wondered, would there be bread the next morning? And yet every day, except for the Sabbath, right up to the time they enter the promised land, God provides them manna. And it seems there's nothing they can do to contribute to the situation. The harder they work, the more they collect. Well, it just goes bad. Let me tell you, I wouldn't cope well in that situation. But God's teaching them, isn't he, that he is their provider. He's their source of life. Without him, they will literally starve. There's nothing they can do other than collect it every day. If they stockpile it, well, they can't. They can't trade it, they can't freeze it, they don't have those. They have no other option but to trust in God's daily provision. In the New Testament, the disciples asked Jesus one day how they should pray. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 2, Jesus says this, he says, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive anyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Jesus asked them to pray each day for their daily bread. Now I sometimes pray this prayer and I pray it meaning those words. I pray this prayer realising that God is indeed the one who provides ultimately food for me today. I know he causes the crops somewhere out there to grow by sending rain. I know that in my head, but my daily experience is so different to that, isn't it? For me, food comes from the supermarket and I control how much of that I get and when I get it. And if I want, I can stockpile it, I can freeze it, I can put it in the fridge. And so at one level, it feels like I have control over that part of my life i know in my head that ultimately god is the provider but i need the example of exodus to remind me that he provides daily i hope the story of the manor helps us to see the reality of this for 40 years god's people got up in the morning and they collected manna. i take it they still did that on the day where they took off their gold earrings and made a golden calf god provides for his people in and out of their life. And if he did so then, I want you to see that he does so today also. And so we should keep praying, asking that God would provide our daily bread. But in the New Testament, we see it's not just our physical needs that God provides for. We're up to point three on our leaflet now, one that's titled Woolworth Influences and Eternity. In John chapter 6... 
We read about Jesus miraculously feeding 5,000 men, and I imagine as many women and lots of children as well. He has them sit down on the grass, and taking five small loaves of bread and two fish, he feeds maybe 15,000 people. And John leaves no doubt in our mind as he recalls this story for us, that this is a miracle. This is proof of who Jesus is. This is proof of his divinity. This shows us that Jesus has command over the created world. This is Jesus providing bread from heaven. This is an Exodus-like event happening. And the crowds are impressed, aren't they? They want to make Jesus king. In fact, they threaten to do so by force at this point, and so Jesus kind of runs away. He doesn't want earthly kingship. When the crowds find him on the other side of the lake, Jesus seems to be annoyed with them. If you've got your Bibles open, have a look at John chapter 6, verse 26 with me. I want to read to you what Jesus says. He says to the people, Very truly I tell you, this is John chapter 6, verse 26, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to this world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Now, clearly the people who have been fed by Jesus are seeing similarities between their experience and the experience of Israel in the wilderness. Bread has been provided from heaven. And yet Jesus seems to be implying to them that they're looking for the wrong thing. Instead of filling their tummies, they should have been looking for nourishment of a different kind. They should have been looking for for nourishment that fuels them into eternal life. I think we sort of understand today that food can do different things for us. So if you're physically hungry, then you need to eat physical food. You buy that from Woolworths or Coles or Audi at a pinch, you could get it from McDonald's. That's the sort of food that fills your bellies, right? The physical food that physically fuels your physical body. Now let me tell you about another sort of food. It's called AG1. Some of you might have heard of AG1 before. It stands for Athletic Greens. It's a sort of supplement, right? Some of you might have heard of this supplement before. The New York Times says it isn't a meal replacement, nor is it a pre- or post-workout drink. Instead, AG1 promises 75 vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and aptogens, all in one scoop. The ingredient list is biblically long. Words like alkaline, nutrient-dense, raw superfood, spirulina, broccoli flour powder, pea protein isolate, ashwagandha extract, super mushroom complex. (laughs) Now, here's the thing. This food will not fill your tummies. There's there's very few calories in it. If this is all you ate, you wouldn't survive. 
But if the marketing material is to be believed, people like Lewis Hamilton, the Formula One driver, drink this stuff every day. And so does just about every popular YouTuber that I ever watch, from boat builders to travel bloggers to racing car drivers. They all seem to be sponsored by this AG1 company. And the best I can tell is that if you drink this stuff, you'll have a good chance of also becoming an influencer or a racing driver. See, I think AG1 nourishes your inner influencer. I think that's what it's trying to do. Food from Woolies nourishes our bodies, right? AG1 helps you become an influencer. Now, I want to suggest that John, in chapter 6, is speaking about a different sort of food again. It's not food that gives life to our physical bodies. It's not a food that enables you to succeed on YouTube. Rather, the food he offers is food that nourishes us right into eternity. His food fuels our eternal life. And here's where the rubber hits the road for us. I want you to see today that we are daily dependent on Jesus for this spiritual need, this spiritual nourishment. For the Israelites in the wilderness, they depend on God's provision of manna every single day. Without it, they would have starved. I want you to see this morning, we are just as dependent on the spiritual food that Jesus offers. If the Israelites had refused to pick up that manna and eat it, they would have died, wouldn't they? I want you to see that if you refuse the food that Jesus offers, your spiritual life will starve and you will not enter eternity. So how do we partake in the spiritual food that Jesus offers? Well, it's there, isn't it, in verse 29 of John chapter 6. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Who is he? He's Jesus, the bread of life, the one that nourishes and sustains not only in this life but into eternity. As he says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Hattie and Tom and Emily, if you want to drink AG1, by all means, go and knock yourself out. I worked out it's about $6 a serve. It seems like a lot of money to me, but each of you to your own when it comes to that sort of stuff. But here's what I want you to do. Keep feasting on Jesus. Keep believing in him because what he offers lasts. What he offers nourishes not just in this life but right through into eternity. Keep following him. Keep believing in him. Keep trusting in that nourishment that fuels us into eternity. The truth is it's the only fuel that lasts into eternity. Today we've celebrated, symbolically, Hattie crossing over from death into life. We've celebrated that in the symbol of her baptism. A wonderful thing for us to celebrate as a church. But the truth is that even though we've done that with Hattie, life in this world is difficult and Hattie might grumble at times even though she's crossed over. 
Because just like the Israelites, we're too waiting, aren't we, to enter into the promised land, that land that flows with milk and honey. We too are waiting to enter into God's rest, to enter into the new heavens and the new earth. I hope you can see from chapter 16 of Exodus that while we wait for those things, we must rely on God's provision, knowing that he's faithful, knowing that he keeps his promises. And for us today, for those who live in the New Testament, the way in we do that is to keep coming to Jesus, keep listening to him, keep believing in him and keep trusting in him, knowing that he is the one who sustains us into eternity. I'm going to pray that we do that as a church. Father, we thank you for the book of Exodus that helps us to remember that you're a God who keeps your promises. That you've shown us that you're a God who's powerful enough to keep your promises. That you can defeat the mighty armies of the day. Father, we thank you for what we know about you and your son because of where we live today and the times in which we live. We thank you that in and through Jesus, you are providing for us spiritually. Please help us to keep listening to him, keep trusting in him, and keep returning to him for sustenance that will fuel us into eternal life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.